Well, I am excited to be here today. If, you, if you're a guest here today, you uh, don't know that I am not the pastor, but I am not the pastor. That guy is sitting right in the front row over here. Make sure you say hello to him. He has graciously given up his pulpit for a day, and I thank you for that. Uh, I love teaching and preaching the Word of God, and, and I, it's hard to follow what just happened here, but this is what we're going to do. I hope that God just speaks to you today. That's my hope. I hope that it flows over from the music into the preaching and that you hear God's Word and that it inspires you to make a change. Well, my name is Joe Andrews. I'm the campus pastor here. Um, many of you don't know this. I was born in 1979. That makes me 41 years old. For this service, everybody's thinking that guy's pretty old. Uh, the last service would have called me a young man still, and I would have accepted it, and I wouldn't have corrected them at all. But uh, it was three years before I was born that Stevie Wonder came out with a brand new album. It was a huge album. In fact, it was 21 songs. It was a multi-disc album. And what Stevie Wonder wanted to do in this album was he wanted to hit as many topics as he could possibly hit. And he wanted to pour all of his life experiences into those 21 songs. And that's exactly what he did. In fact, when he started the project, he had a name for, uh, for this album. And it was, it was this, Let's See Life the Way That It Is. All right? And that was his goal, is to help people see life the way that it was. But as time got closer to releasing the album, he actually had a dream. And in the dream, he, he somehow got another name for his album. And you just saw it up here, Songs in the Key of Life. And Stevie Wonder wanted to pour all of himself into this album. Now, it's undisputed that it's the best album that he ever created, all right? And uh, he is so proud of it. He was so proud of everything that he did to get his music in there, 21 songs, all of his life's experience. And, and this month, we're actually stealing his title. That's what we do sometimes here. We steal, and we're stealing his title, and we are making that the title of our series this month, Songs in the Key of life. And we're going to be in the book of Psalms. And the reason that we call it Songs in the Key of Life is because the word psalm actually means song or accompanied song. So a song put with music. And what we hope that you see during this whole series is that no matter what stage of life that you're in, no matter what is going on in your life, whether it's the happiest day of your life, whether it's the worst time of your life, whether you're angry, whether you're sad, whether you're glad, whether you just got a promotion, it doesn't matter. You can praise the Lord in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Now, Psalms, there's 150 Psalms. So right off the bat, the Psalms win the contest against Stevie Wonder with his, with his puny 21 on this one album. All right. Now, uh, to, to go even a little further, the psalmist took over a thousand years to compile the Psalms. All right. Guess how long it took Stevie Wonder? Two and a half years. Come on, man. Come on, Stevie. There's a clear winner. Eat it, Stevie Wonder. The Psalms have won. All right. And the Psalms are, are very similar in some ways to Stevie's album, all right? Here's how they're similar, because the psalmist poured their life into these psalms, and they hit on so many topics, 
in the Psalms, and the psalmists together have, have this huge compilation, an album of songs, if you will, that speaks to us, each and every one of us, where we are. So don't forget, as we, as we go into the Psalms, that they are songs that we are actually reading, okay? We should be singing these. I should just be up here singing, but then all of you would leave, and I don't want that. So just stay here uh, and bear with me. Now, a lot of authors wrote the Psalms, and, and, and if somebody just came up to you and just named some random Psalm to you and said, who do you think wrote this Psalm? Just say David, okay? Because David has written over half, about half of all of the Psalms. But there's actually some other authors in there as well. Actually, David's son Solomon wrote two of the Psalms, which is pretty cool. There was also a guy named Asaph. He was a choir director for David, and he wrote 12 of the Psalms. Uh, after that, you have Moses, the guy who parted the Red Sea years and years before this. He has one psalm. And for those of you who grew up in the 80s, like me, uh, He-Man, I don't know if you know He-Man, He-Man the Barbarian, He-Man the Master of the Universe wrote one psalm with, with somebody else. I may be pronouncing his name wrong. Uh, it might be Haman, it might not be the same guy, but if you're a fan of the 80s, you see the word He-Man in the Bible and you're like, I didn't know that show was biblical. Uh, that's great. Um, <clears throat> the title of my message today is Psalm 1, A Life Lived uh, in tune, a life in tune. And what I want you uh, to see today is this was written by David, a man whose life was in tune with God. He was a godly man, okay? And don't forget who David was, because I think our tendency sometimes is to just say, okay, David wrote this, but we don't really think about it's the David that we all know. Like it's the David that played the harp, which somebody would have made fun of him for, except he had killed a lion and a bear. And everybody was like, no, you're good. You play the harp. That's okay. And so he was the harp player, but he was also the youngest of the brothers and the least likely to become anything, but he becomes king. And you know the story of David and Goliath. It's that same David. You know the same story of David and Bathsheba. It's that same David who is, who is going to open up this psalm for us today, and it's Psalm 1. And the, the, what I want to do first is just read this awesome psalm to you. So if you guys look on the screen, you can read along with me, or if you have your Bible, you can read there. Blessed is the man, says David, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, don't forget, this sounds very poetic. The Psalms weren't something that were just spontaneously written. It wasn't like a spontaneous prayer or a spontaneous song. David sat down and he penned this because this is exactly what he wanted to say. And what I want you to see today from this Psalm, the very first Psalm of all 150, what I want you to leave with today is this, that the lives and the futures of the godly and the ungodly are drastically different. Okay, let me, let me kind of flesh that out for you a little bit. David is going to bring two people to our attention today. 
And he's going to say, here is one person, the godly person. Here's what their life looks like. And, and on the other hand, here's an ungodly person. And here is what their life looks like. And when you look at the two, all you can help but say is, wow, those lives are starkly different. I can't believe how separate and how different they are, but it's not just their lives that are different. Their futures are also different. So as you look at the future of the godly person, his future is spent really with God in eternity. The future of the ungodly is spent separated from God. And you realize that what happened in life was so important for the future. And that's what I want you to see today, that those two lives are so vastly different from one another. And we're going to look at these two types of people. We're going to look at the godly person first, because that is exactly where David starts. So let's look at the godly person. The very first thing that David says is, blessed is the man, or blessed is the man. Now, I want you to understand this word blessed. I don't want you to think that it's, it means something like a feeling, like he has a blessing on his life and it makes him feel good. It's not that. It's more of a condition. The, the Hebrew would be translated as blessednesses, okay? And it's more of a condition than a feeling. It's this deep-seated joy in the fact that, in this case, the godly person, the person who's going to do some things and not do some things that David is about to show us, he is blessed. He lives in this joy. It's his condition. It's a condition of happiness and joy, but it's not fleeting. It's just who he is. It's not a feeling like some of us have a feeling of happiness and then we can have a feeling of sadness. No, this is a totally different condition. To help you understand that a little more, I would like to uh, introduce you to my wife. I'm not going to bring her on stage or anything. Her name is Leanne, and uh, her condition is that of a mother, all right? That is her condition, okay? No matter her feelings about it, no matter anything else, her condition is that of a mother, and as a mother, she can't change that fact, okay? I don't know if you know this, but my wife has never really felt like a mother. She's been a mother for 14 years. I don't know why her kids didn't help her feel like a mother, but I don't know. That's just how it is. Now, I want to tell you about a week and a half ago is when I finally saw this. She really began to feel like a mother. And uh, the condition was still the same, all right? Her con you guys are probably looking at me like you're responsible for her condition as mother. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's God and that's the children, okay? We don't need to bring me into this, all right? So here's what happened to make and help my wife really feel that she was a mother, even after she's been a mother for 14 years. So I wish you guys could all scoot up at the same time because I really don't want you to miss this. this. This is what it was that made my wife finally feel like a mom a week and a half ago. It's called a minivan, okay? <laughs> She's been wanting to feel like a mom her entire life, but it wasn't until a week ago when we decided to, to purchase this brand new Honda Odyssey. And when I say brand new, it's because somebody else thought it was old and it was time to sell, but it's brand new to us, all 140,000 miles of it. 
And she was so excited. And as she crawled into that van for the very first time, she sat in that seat. You could see that she was now feeling like she was a mom. Obviously, she's always felt like a mom. Car has done something to me as well. <laughs> Every time I get close to that vehicle, I feel it pulling me. <laughs> And one time yesterday, I drove the vehicle, honestly, for the first time, except for a test drive. And as I sat down in that seat, I f too felt like a mom. <laughs> it, was like, it was like stepping into somebody else's life. I'm like, I don't feel right. I don't know if I should be here. But I just went with it. We drove to the mountains and we did an awesome hike. But the second that I, I started to exit the vehicle, that feeling began to leave. And it hasn't left my wife, though. I don't know how she kept it, but it's, it's, it's her secret. That's the difference between a condition and a feeling. It doesn't matter what you feel. The, the godly man, he is blessed. It's a condition that is upon his life. Now, David is going to go into a few things that a godly person does not do. And I want to look at those with you. The very first thing that it says that a godly person will not do is walk in the counsel of the wicked, okay? A godly person isn't going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Well, what does that actually mean? That means that he's not taking his cues from the world on how he should live his life. When he needs advice, he doesn't go to someone that is ungodly to get that advice. He goes to another godly person or he goes to God himself. That's where he takes his counsel from. All right, we can also assume that the ungodly person would take counsel from the wicked. What I want you to notice about this word wicked is it's really kind of an entry level into sin. And as he goes down the list, it's a little bit deeper and it gets a little bit deeper. So it's going to go from wicked to sinner. And then after that, it's going to go to scoffer. And at the same time, he's using some postures. He says they don't walk and they don't sit. Uh, sorry, they don't walk and they don't stand and they don't sit. And those words are also trying to convey that something is happening at a deeper and darker level. So the ungodly, he's not going to take his counsel from the wicked. This is the next thing that David says, that they will not stand in the way of sinners. Well, what does that mean? An ungodly person isn't going to get caught going in the same direction as sinners. And remember, this is kind of the intermediate stage of sinfulness. We're going a little bit deeper and a little bit darker. He's not walking anymore. Now he's, he's stopped and he's standing and he's with them. But the ungodly person does not do that. But we can assume that the ungodly person does do that. Here's the last thing that David says that the, the godly person does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, I don't know if you've ever just about, uh, if, you're, if you've ever been in a fight and you're about to fight and somebody says, all right, come on, you scoffer. Nobody ever says that, right? Like, we don't even know what scoffer is. So I, I have to go and I have to look up this word scoffer. What does this word mean? What the word scoffer means is it's someone who mocks, but it's, they mock out of their pride, Okay, and they don't just mock people. This is actually directly aimed at God. By the way the scoffer lives his life, 
It is prideful, and he mocks God as he lives a life contrary to what he knows God would want of him. But the godly person, he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. The ungodly, they absolutely would. So now let's look at what David says that a godly person does do. We know what they don't do, all right? We know that they don't walk, sit, and stand with with the wicked and with sinners and with scoffers. But let's see what they do. In verse 2, it starts off like this. But his delight, the godly person's delight, is in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord. Now, remember David is writing this, and it's not somebody like today that has 66 books that they call the Bible, okay? This is David writing a long time ago. He didn't have 66 books of the Bible. He is talking about the law, and he's talking about the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And when he says that the godly person delights himself in the law of the Lord, all he is saying is the godly person is going to take pleasure in the word of God. So simple, so complete. It didn't involve the entire Bible because he didn't even know all of that was coming. It just involved five little books for him. But he said the godly person, he will, he will delight in the law of the Lord. The next thing that he says is actually like it. He will meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. So what does that mean? Well, it means that he delights himself so much in the law of the Lord that it affects him. Don't forget that the average person couldn't just reach for a copy of the Bible because it wasn't there and and start reading it. So what he's not saying is you have to read your Bible day and night. Now that's a great habit to do, but that's not what David is saying here. In fact, the person, if they heard some of the word of God, they would treasure it in their hearts because they were part of an oral culture and they would think about it when they woke up because it was so wonderful because it was the word of God and they would think about it at night. It would be on their heart and on their minds and they would think about it constantly because that is what a godly person does. So now let's look at what David says about the ungodly person, all right? We want to see what he says about the ungodly person. We, all, we know all about the godly person now. Let's look at the ungodly person. He starts this way. Do you remember how he started with the, talking about the godly person? He said, blessed is the man. Now he's going to start talking about the wicked person, and it is totally different. The wicked, verse 4, are not so. The wicked are not blessed. The the wicked people, the the ungodly people, they don't have this blessedness over their life. It is absent. It is foreign. And David wants to make sure that every single person knows that the life of the godly and the ungodly are so very different. One walks in a condition of blessedness because of his favor in the Lord, because he has placed his faith and his trust in the Lord. The ungodly people person does not have that blessedness. The next thing that David says is he says that the ungodly person is like chaff. Now, that's one of those other words that you're like, scoffers, chaff, what am I reading here? I need another, I need some other kind of version of the Bible that I can understand. So let me help you understand what what chaff is. A long time ago, when they would harvest their wheat or their barley, they would put it into sheaves, and they would come and they would throw it on a hard 
threshing floor. And they would have oxen walk all over the wheat and barley because what happens is there's a grain of wheat that has to be dislodged from a husk that's, that's on top of it and holding it in. And nobody wants to eat that husk, all right? And so they have the oxen tread all over it, and then they take out all of the stems of the wheat, and then the farmer will get basically a pitchfork. It's called a winnowing fork. He would shove it into that mixture, and he would throw it up in the air. And as soon as he threw it up in the air, all of those little husks, would blow away and the wheat grain would just fall back down because of its weight, all right? And that's how they would make wheat. Now, uh, the stuff that blew away in the wind that was useless, that nobody wanted, that served no purpose and was just gone is called the chaff. It was those little husks. And the wind just carries it away. And David wants everybody to know that when it comes to an ungodly person, they are like chaff, They're unwanted, they're unusable, and they're forgotten about. David used the word chaff because he wanted to show the very stark difference between the godly and the ungodly person. Now, he goes into a couple things that the ungodly person won't do. They won't stand in the judgment, all right? When it's time for them to meet their maker and they are standing to be judged, they're not going to make it through that judgment well. In fact, they're going to be found guilty. They will not be left standing. We can also assume that the reverse is true for the godly person, right? They will stand in the judgment. The next thing that David says is that the ungodly person will not sit with the righteous. They're not going to be counted among the righteous people. Why? Well, because they're not righteous people. They're ungodly The godly person is godly. The godly person is righteous. The ungodly person is not. And so you're not going to find the ungodly person sitting among the righteous. Who are you going to find there? You're going to find the godly person there. So now that we know a little about the lives and we see that they're very different, let's look at the futures of the two. Let's look at the futures of the godly and the ungodly right now so that we can understand what happens to them in the end. This is verse 3. This is talking about the godly person. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. I don't know if you've ever climbed up a mountain, but if you look over the city in the summertime, not in the wintertime, if you look in the summertime, you see this green stripe running through our city. You know what it is? It's the Rio Grande River, but the green is all of the trees that are planted next to that water. And you know what they get that nothing else gets in this desert? Water. And you know what? They grow big and they grow tall. And what David says next applies to them as well that it yields fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Listen, in all that he does, the godly person, he prospers. The godly person will prosper. Why? Because they're living a godly lifestyle. Just if you're a boss and you have people working with you and you have a godly person working with you, a person of integrity, a person who won't sacrifice anything for the good of the company, if it's okay, all right? They won't do, they're not gonna go against your back, they're not gonna steal money, they're not gonna do any of that. Why? Because they're a godly person. That person is going to move up. They're just gonna prosper, all right? But more than that, they're gonna prosper in eternity. Last week, the pastor talked about the eternal life that we have 
in Jesus Christ. It is that same eternal life that David is talking about here. That is real prosperity. Let's look at verse 6 to see the future for the ungodly. This is what David says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I don't know if you remember last Sunday's sermon, but we did talk about eternal life, but we also talked about an eternal death, being separated from the Lord forever. That is the future for the ungodly person. All right? Now, I think as we get to the end of that and hearing that the lives and the futures of these two people are so very different, it's, it kind of makes us think, why, why is the godly person blessed and why is the ungodly person not blessed? And, and why does, uh, in, in the judgment, why does the, the righteous person, the, the godly person get to stand and why does the ungodly not get to stand in the judgment? And why is one righteous and the other aren't? Why? Why? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but this isn't a psalm of David that is trying to change behavior and tell you what to do or not do. It's just a simple observation. And he makes this observation about these two people's lives because it is so important for all of us to know, all right? The reason why is the the godly person isn't blessed because he does godly things. It's actually the reverse, all right? The answer to the reason why is because the godly person has put all of their faith and all of their love in God. And it is that reason that they have been made righteous and they have made, been made godly. And it is that reason that they will continue to be godly for the rest of their life. The ungodly person is not like that. They don't have that blessedness, that salvation from the Lord because they have chosen to live apart from him. And all David wants to do is bring that to our attention. He doesn't say, live a godly life. Go do this. Don't do that. This is just a simple observation, and it's to be sung by the choir. What I don't want you to think is that I'm up here telling you what to do and not do and go live a better, godlier life. That's not my job. here's, Here's what that would do. If I told you to do that, it wouldn't change anything about your life. But if God changes you first, you're automatically going to be drawing nearer to him and you're automatically going to be living a life that is more godly and more godly and more godly every day. It's a process that we call sanctification. Jesus Christ himself died for your sins and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and it is through that Holy Spirit that you are able to live a godly life. This isn't a message about law. This is a message about grace. You have been saved and you get to live a godly life and it's going to happen because you are loving and following the Lord with your whole heart. If I want to put something just as simply as I can today for you, I just want to narrow everything down. It's this. If you don't love and follow God, your life is going to put that on display. All right, if you are an ungodly person and you don't love and follow the Lord, guess what your life is going to look like? It's going to look like exactly that. Your life isn't going to look like the life of a godly person. Your life isn't going to look like you love God because you don't. And your life, every single day of your life, is going to put that on display for the world to see. And the world won't have any question 
I wonder if that person is godly. They won't have to ask that because they will see your actions and they will see your beliefs and they will see your actions according to your beliefs. The opposite is also true. If you do love and follow the Lord, your whole life will show it. If you love and follow the Lord, if you've placed your faith in Him and He has saved you, guess what? You want to be more like Him. You want to be more godly because He's the one that saved you. And your whole life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to be lived in a godly way. It's just an observation that David has. As we kind of bring everything to a close, I want to share a quote with you from Stevie Wonder where we started today. This is what Stevie Wonder says. You can sing about things and you can talk about things, but if your actions don't speak louder than your words, you're nothing. He quoted that before he was going to go basically move to Ghana, Africa and start helping people. And he realized that he had said a lot of things and he had sang a lot of things, but his actions weren't measuring up. His actions weren't showing those same things. And so he now gives us a piece of advice. What we believe in, what we confess, what we place our faith in will live itself out in the actions of our lives. And we don't want to be nothing if our actions don't match what we say. So I think David had it right. This is actually called a wisdom psalm. It's not called an advice psalm. David wants to just give us wisdom. Here is two people. Here's their lives and here's their futures. Plain and simple. And he would say that the lives and the futures of the godly and the ungodly are drastically different. So where does that leave you today? I'm not just going to tell you, go live a godly life. Here's what you need. If you want to live a godly life, here's what you need. You need God in your life. You have to place your faith in him. You have to repent of your sin. And then, and only then, will your godly life make any sense. You can't do godly acts and not be in God, not be in Christ. So maybe you just want to look at your life for a second and say, I wonder if I'm living a godly life or if I'm living an ungodly life. If you're living an ungodly life, you can change that today. In just a moment, we'll have some pastors here. You can come forward and say, I don't want to be ungodly anymore. I want to be more like God because I don't want to live like that and I definitely don't want that future. I want to live like the godly man and I want the godly man's future. Or maybe you're looking for a church full of godly people, but we also mess up, right? Maybe you want to join a church where all the people want to get to know the Lord better so they can continue living a life that pleases Him. You can come and talk to one of us about that. Whatever it is you need to do, I hope that you would take that time to do it as the, as the band comes up in just a moment. Think about what David says and think about how you should respond. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that you are a God who gives yourself to us. We thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit, which is the only way that I can live 
a godly life. God, I do want my life to please you. I don't want to be like an ungodly person. I don't want to have the ungodly future and be separated from you, but I want you to help me in this world be a light for you. And everything that I do, I pray, God, that it would glorify you. And when it doesn't, pray that I would come to you in repentance. And maybe that's what we need to do today. Let's just say, you know, I know that I'm saved, but I, I haven't been living like it. I've, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm living as though I weren't. I'm living like an ungodly person. Come and talk with one of us. Dear God, we thank you for this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.